When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Belgium become the first team to come from behind to win a game at Euro 2020 in a match dedicated to Christian Eriksen. The Netherlands saunter to a win over a very poor Austrian side to win Group C and the Roman Yaramchuk golden boot train is officially on the tracks and away, scoring in a 2-1 win as North Macedonia packed their bags for home. I'm Jake from What If Football, this is the Euro Daily Podcast episode 12. You can find us on Acast, Apple, Amazon and Spotify and if you are on one of those platforms please feel free to give us a like, a subscribe and a five-star review if you are enjoying the show it does help us immeasurably with those pesky little algorithms we're also on patreon patreon.com forward slash what if football every day with the euro daily podcast up until the tournament's conclusion on july the 12th after the championships we'll be providing seven days a week content which is a contemporary football podcast nostalgia football podcasts as well as um, football manager content thursday to sunday so with that all out of the way Let's get stuck in to today's show. We start off at the Parkland Stadion in Copenhagen and a win for Belgium would qualify them, whilst a loss for Denmark wouldn't eliminate them as such, but it would make things very difficult going into the final match day here in a quite sombre occasion in Copenhagen. A loss for Denmark, it didn't really matter. Russia on Monday would be the true tests and a, as long as they kept their goal difference down, which they did with the loss at home here, it was still hanging in the balance going into a clash with Russia on the final day. Belgium, the team news coming out was two changes, one enforced on them really with Thomas Munier coming in for Timothy Castagna, who by all accounts was centimetres away from uh, maybe even losing his eye and um, losing his vision and the end of his career effectively he misses a tournament with the eye injury Thomas Munier was in Jason Denier came in for Dedrick Briatta and um, was called into action almost immediately but we'll get onto that one uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Aiden Hazard were on the bench and um, it stuck in 
with that left-sided combo of uh, Yannick Carrasco and Torgan Hazard interchangeably on the left, but it didn't start too well, did it? For Denmark, of course, Christian Eriksen was out. Yannick, v- v- Yannick Vestergaard came in and uh, switched to three at the back with Daniel Vass and uh, Mailer playing wing-back in there. Damsgaard also came in for Jonas, Wind- Jonas Vind and joined the front line with Yannick, uh, with uh, Yusuf Poulsen on the left and Martin Brathwaite central. Now you might recall the team previews and I stated that Jason Denier's decision making and his uh, failure to either push up or drop deep was uh, one of his weaknesses and 99 seconds here we uh, saw that come to the fore. His poor pass out from the back, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg harried him, harried him and uh, he got Denmark going. He then tried to correct the mistake, overcorrected Paulson, then steered the ball in, and right from the off, Denmark were at the races. It was the uh, it was the second quickest goal in European Championships history, and it's just something that everybody wanted to see. What Denmark needed, maybe not even as a team, but as a country, just that jubilation, the celebrations afterwards. Copenhagen Stadium, twenty four thousand people in, five hundred yards from where Christian Eriksen was watching from the hospital bed that he uh, should be leaving, hopefully, um, later on today. Myler was dancing through the Belgian defence. He almost got a shot through Courtois and um, Brathwick got a flick on at the near post, hit the side net in. The wing-backs were combining to absolute devastation, really. Myler crossing for uh, Daniel Vass on the other wing-back and he produced a save from Courtois and this is all inside the first five minutes. Denmark were, they were fired out of the blocks. They were so amped up, but obviously this came with its own drawbacks, which uh, came to the fore later on. The occasion, Belgium seemed to be playing the occasion rather than the game. They started slow, sluggish. They were incredibly creaky in defence. I think Jan Vertonghen's playing with an injury, or at least he was playing as those playing with an injury that, Defensive line was getting beaten again and again and again. And I've voiced my concerns for Italy's defence on these podcasts um, through the tournament, but Belgium's defence was 10 times as bad as what Italy, or the potential that I think Italy are likely to have when they come up against the top team. Um, first half, and to be fair, in the second half as well, Belgium's defence was just not good enough. There wasn't enough width going forward. Romelu Lukaku was incredibly isolated going uh, forward. There's no bodies forward for Belgium and Belgium was sort of it looked as though they were just waiting for Denmark to drop off in intensity they were trying to keep the ball um, let Denmark just settle into the game and then hit them Daniel Vass was absolutely everywhere Mikkel Damsgaard was I thought he was fantastic he was energetic he was creative at right wing the Sampdoria man and he's just exactly the type of player that uh, Thomas Frank would sign for Brentford I think in the in the midfield on the right wing as well like the previous game against Russia, Yannick Carrasco, Torgan Hazard, they interchanged, uh, but it was not with the same fluidity or the same effect. I thought Carrasco was very poor in that first half. Uh, one of the great battles from the first half that I was enjoying uh, came straight out of the uh, book of the Milan derby. Simon Kier, Romelu Lukaku, great battle in there. Um, respectful battle as well. I'm sure Lukaku's very uh, appreciative of the work that they did in the uh, in the first game for Christian Eriksen. Obviously, the match changed at half-time, a maskless Kevin De Bruyne, like Kane 2003, he came on for Dries Mertens at half-time and instantly, instantly Belgium had this composure in the final third that they just otherwise did not have. 
Lukaku was providing the running, the dirty work. He was finding himself in the channels. He passed it to he passed it to Kevin De Bruyne, and he had this. They call it in Spain pausa, which is the sort of ability to slow everything down whilst your brain's working at double quick speed. And then with that dummied past two plays, made them look an absolute fool. Gifted it to Tog and Hazard. Hazard slipped it into the net and. Fit or not, Kevin De Bruyne clearly had that composure needed for Belgium that just to slow things down, but still provide chances for others. And obviously, Denmark were never going to have the same intensity in the second half. And before the hour, Belgium added more players, more what would have been first choice 11 had it not been for fitness worries in Axel Witzel, on for Den Donker and Eden Hazard as well, on for Dries Mertens. Um... They, they, again, added a bit more solidity to that Belgium team. Kevin De Bruyne was more central. He pulled out to the right, as he often does for his country. Aiden Hazard was tucking in on the left. It was more of a 3-5-1-1, I guess. And um, there was a tide turning of the match that was clearly visible. You could see the almost the exact point where Denmark's energy was all spent. The emotion of the occasion had... Um, sort of tips them over the edge and Belgium were finding this second wind with De Bruyne holding the ball up, getting beaten a few men. And it just looked as though them, uh, Belgium were just working through the gears and they were going to find a second goal. However, there was always that danger in defence for me that they were going to concede again. They kept allowing Marla to cut in on this right foot from left wing back, which is dangerous at, and even though Denmark was sat sitting back almost as though they were conserving energy to go for one final push or protect a point, they were capitalising or attempting to capitalise at least on rare ventures forward. But ultimately, Belgium's second goal was just as good as the first one, if not even better, wasn't it? Um, Ali McCoyst, I think, called it a PlayStation goal on commentary and it was, it was lovely. Romelu Lukaku sprung the offside trap again, running into those channels, which he's so good at. And then uh, played the ball back to Tielemans, Tielemans to Hazard, Hazard to Hazard, and then Hazard to Kevin De Bruyne, a bit like an Anton Deck uh, track from back in the day. And De Bruyne hits it on his weak foot first time, and the, it's just superb, isn't it? Bends it into the bottom corner past Kasper Schmeichel there. And it just shows there that the when Belgium, are, when they've got their little bits of quality there from the top, top players, it's going to be the big difference maker, isn't it? And even from the brief forays like this, it shows why they're so dangerous up the field. And when it gets to the crunch games, it could just be a matter of score more than you because their defence, from what I saw um, yesterday, it wasn't up to scratch, really. They may fall short, but up front, they're, just, they're absolutely incredible. They've probably got, in terms of three players that you'd want in your team, Lukaku, Aiden Hazard, if Aiden Hazard is, of course, going to be fully fit. And Kevin De Bruyne, you'd, you wouldn't want any other players there to sort of take up that position. Aiden Hazard, with his fitness, is probably one of the only ones you might say, ah, pick someone else, pick a uh, Phil Foden or someone else, maybe. So it leaves Belgium on six points. And it could have been four. It had uh, Martin Brathwaite's had just a little few centimetres lower. He clipped the bar, didn't he, at the end there. Um, but Belgium and Second match day on six points, maximum points there through. And um, how Denmark will respond against arguably the weakest opponent in the group in Russia is uh, crucial to whether or not they'll qualify or not. One point will be enough for Finland, you'd expect, against Belgium to uh, to qualify, which 
there's a few games shaping up a bit like that where sort of of, um, Italy and Wales as well and um, Ukraine versus Austria where one point will be enough for both to sort of strengthen their position in the group so will there be a non-aggression pact you just you just don't know you'd like to think not you'd like to think they'd be open free-flowing attacking games of football with the pressure off um but Finland one point for them to get into the last 16 would be incredible wouldn't it and if Denmark do win yeah, but they do need a little bit of an overturn in a goal difference there they're on minus two I mean a two goal win over Russia they did look very good in this uh, in this game last night I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility. They might still be carrying that emotion, obviously. Their mental health won't be at the best, obviously goes without saying, a bit of an understatement. But I still think they've got more than enough to overturn that goal difference, get above Russia in the group, more importantly, and um, sneak in through that third place. Second place would have the prize of second place in Group A, so in a kind quarter of the draw, let's be honest. So we could see Wales versus Finland, (laughs) which is just... Incredible, isn't it, really, in the last 16? Third place will likely play Spain or France if they're top group ERF as well. And I don't think we can even judge Belgium yet. They were untested against Russia. They were in they were in a very difficult situation against um, against Denmark and they won't be tested against Finland. Finland's a great, great occasion for Belgium to get some minutes under belts of some players, Eden Hazard, Axel Witzel for, for uh, two there, really, and... If they lose, obviously, they risk giving up the top spot to Finland, which is unlikely, I'll admit, but um, they will give much-needed minutes to some players in the team. I'd like, to, I'd love to see Jeremy Doku, for one. I think he's very excited. We've not seen him as of yet. And um, if they do win the group, they'll face a third-place team from Group A, D, E or F. So you could play, could end up playing Switzerland, could end up playing Scotland, maybe, Um and if they finish any third place of Group F, they could easily be finishing France, Germany or Portugal, couldn't they? So it could go one or two ways. It's just impossible to predict and try and finish second to get an easier draw. It's pointless, really. It's pretty feckless in this um, 24-team tournament, isn't it? We'll be back after this short break with a 2021 trivial teaser, which slightly harder, I hope. We had a, an incorrect answer there, but four correct answers. And of course, after the... Uh, Trivial teaser will be covering Group C's games from yesterday and previewing the big clash from Friday night. Yes, Sweden versus Slovakia. Of course, the answer was Timu Puki yesterday, wasn't it? George Spencer, unfortunately, his consecutive run of correct answers was uh, cut because Moose and Dembele was not the correct answer, unfortunately. It has to be a Euro 2021 player, of course. Jake Collinson, Adam, Deschate and Pazza all got the correct answer of Timu Puki. And I'm still a forward today. As I very much wasn't in my youth. <laughs> Left back in the changing room I was. I'm a forward. I've been managed by Jose Mourinho and Walter Mazzari. I've played alongside Mario Balotelli, Paolo Di Canio, Edinson Cavani, Marek Kamšík, and, of course, David Zappa Costa. I'm a forward, have been managed by Jose Mourinho, Walter Mazzari, and have played alongside Balotelli, Di Canio, Cavani, Hamsik, and the almighty Zappa Costa. You can find out the answer tomorrow on tomorrow's show. You can also tweet me the answer at whatif underscore YouTube if you think you know the answer. After this break, we'll be covering all things Group C, Group D, and the big clash from Friday, Sweden, and 
Slovakia. Welcome back. So, Netherlands versus Austria, the only match from the second round of group fixtures, which has had two winners from the first match day, Netherlands and Austria. But still, there was only one clear favourite, wasn't there, really? The news coming into the match was whether Frank de Boer would stick with a 3-5-2 or go with a 4-3-3, as he had done for much of qualification um, in World Cup and uh, since he's been in charge, really. He stuck with the 3-5-2, making one change. Of course, Matthew Dillett was back from his injury and uh, he came in for the teenager, just Urien uh, Timber there. Austria likewise made one change. Goal scorer from last time, Gregoric, coming in for Sasha Kalajic. Of course, the uh, news was dominated by Marko Anatovic's suspension. Obviously, he came in from the bench last time, so just the one change. Gregoric, I thought the, the change was... Probably apt. Kalajic didn't have the the best game um, against North Macedonia. Gregoric is slightly more mobile than uh, Kalajic as well. And with Netherlands playing a, a likely high line defensively, it could work on paper, of course. And uh, like against North Macedonia, David Alaba played in the middle of a back three in a 3-5-2. The, I thought they were always going to match the Netherlands really in terms of their shape, but I don't think it worked. And uh, we'll get into that now. <laughs> and uh, Denver Dumfries, of course, again, practically a right winger. I thought that Netherlands were a little less gung-ho than they were against uh, against Ukraine and they couldn't be more gung-ho, could they? Uh, the centre-backs were pretty much playing as uh, number 10s in that game. De Litt and De Vrij, I thought, for the most part, held their centre-half positions well. You, at times you'd have Blind and you'd have De Vrij, you know, bombing on and uh, getting into the channels, but um, they weren't drawn into it as much and I thought that was... Um, a little bit of an evolution in terms of tactically getting a bit more used to it. Maybe it was the bit of the personnel as well, and um, it was a good, good. It was, a, it was okay from the Netherlands. I won't stretch to good or great because it was a, a win against a team, a two 0 win against a team that they should have beaten. Really, um, I thought Ulmer, uh, Austria's left back, was one of the only Austrian players to come out of it with any form of credit. He was causing problems for the Netherlands when he did get to push high on the left and. Probably been Austria's one of their best players in this tournament so far. Dumfries, of course, he caused problems going forward. He's always going to. He um, won the penalty ahead of Alibra. Alibra just got a toe in there on Dumfries's foot. And VAR quickly convened that it was a penalty. And Memphis converted, unlike those earlier on in Group C, which we'll get on to after um, this game. 1-0 uh, early on. And a quirky little stat is um, that two, obviously two of the six penalties have been scored at this championships and both the only ones to score have been given a number seven by Manchester United. So maybe if Angel Di Maria was playing or Edison Cavani, there would be more penalties. So all the penalties now are going to be missed unless they're taken by Memphis or Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, in terms of open play, I thought the Netherlands looked quite good. They were just lacking in that final pass or final movement or final something to... um, just be more free-flowing and just complete a few more moves. I thought that Austria's midfield just wasn't at the races. Schlager was okay. Conrad Leimer looked leggy. Christoph Baumgartner slightly is more in field. I think I, I feel he's better when he's um, on the chat in, on the flanks in the channels. I thought they had absolutely no answer to the Dutch midfield. Of Frankie de Jong, I thought was excellent. Genie Wijnaldum was slightly. Slightly more reserved than he was. He was not really a 10, 
not really an eight really either and I thought he was um, I thought they were both excellent of course Martin Deroon shot it all up as well could have had a goal from uh, long range as well I just thought there was absolutely no control from Austria they couldn't get out they had Alaba attempting to dictate tempo from centre half he was unable to and I just thought it, there was a time in the, late in the second half where he, he drifted out to the left and created a good chance almost scored uh, from distance and that's where he should have been like 45 minutes sooner from the start of the game, really. I just didn't think that Austria had anything about them in the middle of the pitch whilst they were trying to play out. They were trying to hire line in the second half as well just to get Alaba a bit forward, but neither worked. What they should have done really is have Alaba on the left wing, cutting in or providing the cross that we saw for uh, Gregorich in the first game which you know was the assist that sort of got them back on the straight and narrow against them and it's something that they'll have to do against Ukraine especially if Alaba plays along against Yamalenko that's going to be a good battle and that's what they should do rather than him playing in this needless centre half role where he can't really do anything he's Austria's best player and he's versatile so why not utilise that versatility they've got Dragovic and Hinteregger at centre half which I think are more than apt to beat a team like Ukraine even though they are Ukraine do have the almighty Roman Yaramchuk who's my boy who's going to win the golden boot but I just feel as though they've got enough class at centre half they don't need Alaba to be in centre half dropping deep and he didn't even look great defensively either. He left a bouncing ball and misjudged it a little bit. I don't know what he was, he was caught, caught in about five different minds and Memphis almost punished him with a first-time volley that hit the side netting, which was would have been fantastic if that one went in. Um, Marcel Sabitz, I don't think he had much of an effect on the on the game at all. He was having to come deep. And Gregorich, he, he, that only served twice, like Gregorich up top. Sabitz wasn't getting into the into the channels he wasn't getting into that little sweet spot that he likes sort of 20 to 30 yards from goal where he can take a touch and shoot or take a touch and spray out to the flanks or you know slip in a Gregorich or a Kalajic he just wasn't he was absent really you had Hinteregger bombing on as the first half wore on which was absolutely mind-numbing to watch because that's where Alaba should have been swap them round have Alaba he's more Alaba's a lot more mobile he's got a better pass Hinteregger was the sort of neither here nor there. He had one shot that just got, it was wild into the crowd. And if that had been Alaba, he'd have either done a crest, a little cross into Gregorich, or he'd have had a probably a better shot on goal. I just didn't see what the plan was there. If Alaba was at left centre half in a three, maybe I, I could understand that with Hinteregger or Dragovich in the middle of the three in defence, because then Alaba can bomb on into those channels like Divrai was doing, like Blind did on occasion. I just, it made no sense to me whatsoever. And the Netherlands could be afforded this little dip. They had a bit of a dip in the first 15 minutes of the second half, didn't they? But even then, they they never looked in danger. Wijnaldum was controlling the game. He was smart with his dribbling and turning. He, at one occasion, he beat three Austrian midfielders with one turn. And that just summed the game up for me. Easily their best player on the night. Frankie de Jong was dictating as well. Um, but... There was always that little feeling in the back of your mind. It wasn't my mind anyway. That they were the history of the previous game, chucking in a lead, uh, a lesser lead, half of the lead that they had in the first game against Ukraine. That they want, they weren't entirely out of the woods. No matter how toothless Austria looked, you could only need, uh, as we've seen from a Rafael Guerrero in the first game, you only need that one sort of 
sort of uh, lucky goal as he did for Portugal against Hungary and then it's sort of a completely different game obviously all one bit of genius like from uh, Yarmolenko in that first game against the Dutch the best chance really was or the first first best chance of the second half was from a set piece so that shows how nullified Netherlands were or rather sitting on a lead which they could have easily had five or six if they really pushed themselves and it was at a point where the ball was he made the Wijndal and Ake double switch which had disastrous results defensively for the match against Ukraine where they went from 2-0 to 2-2 very quickly. And I thought that was a mark that that it didn't happen this time, that it was a mark that they'd sort of progressed a little bit tactically. The third of those subs, Daniel Marlin, it was a treble switch when those two came on. Daniel Marlin was the third man. He was found over the top, looked offside, but the run was timed to absolute perfection. And he, of course, fed Denzel Dumfries his second goal and he's in that race, in that eight-man race for the golden boot there. And that was Austria's high line, the Bundesliga-esque high line. And Franco Foda's got pelters, really, for selecting a Bundesliga-heavy team. And that high line came straight out of the uh, Bundesliga manual, really. And the only problem is that with the high line, it didn't translate into the attacking work because I thought the attacking work was stodgy. Even with his high line, Alibu was still playing centre-half. He wasn't playing on the left as what he should have done, really, in my opinion, at least. I mean, you could have Ulmer at left centre-half if you're not going to play Alibu there, or if you're going to play him in the middle. You could play Alibu left, left wing-back, where he's probably at his best, really, if you're chasing a game, at least. And for me, it was just a complete difference in class. The game was fundamentally one in the midfield. And I was sort of, even though it wasn't a... It wasn't a masterclass from the Netherlands. I was starting to think that maybe they can be serious contenders. Now, it only needs one sort of draw in the last 16 for them to be not. Obviously, they could face the third place team in Group F in the last 16. But if they avoid Group F, they've, they're probably favourites to be in the semi-finals now. Of course, maybe I'm being a bit bullish. They, they, they've not faced the sternness of tests. They're not there fully tactically. But they did look a little bit better incrementally, a little bit better. Now, we know from tournaments gone by that the best, the winners might not be the best teams. They might not, you know, start off the best. Portugal last time in the Euros didn't win a game in the group stages, for example. But I think with Group C now won they can now sort of rejuvenate a few players, get some minutes on the board for some players, you know, like Nathan Ake, who's, who needs some fitness, uh, some match fitness. Um, they they could play, they could play Portugal, France or Germany in the last 16, but if they avoid that, if that sort of draw sort of goes for them, they could play Slovakia or Czech Republic. And that's quite an easy draw for the Netherlands, isn't it? And a last 16 tie there, I mean, that's, easier than some for example like group f is the third place in group f that's the one you want to avoid isn't it but if they get beyond that quarterfinal with the quarterfinal of that tie is the second place in group a second place in group b so as we were saying earlier it could be wales versus finland so netherlands could seriously have a quarterfinal against finland or alternatively a quarterfinal against wales of course and um, that would be sort of territory where you're not playing a top team until the semi-finals, you know, we've seen this in the past three years. England, for example, at the 2018 World Cup. 
so and then from the semi-finals, anything's possible. I mean, look at Croatia last time. They they again like England a bit. Really didn't play a top team. They might have played Argentina at group stages. Um, they didn't play a top team until the until the semi-finals in England. And anything can happen in the semi-final. And that's the only thing that I think Netherlands will do. Will get go quite far in this tournament if they avoid Group F in the last sixteen, which is obviously out of their hands. Like in the team previews, I had them against Portugal in that sort of um, in that game, and which obviously knocked them out. So it, it's difficult. It, they'll need the look of the draw, but if they improve tactically, I'm not. I won't say they'll win that Group F last sixteen, but if they avoid it, and if they can incrementally improve that tactical um, defensively, at least they need to improve tactically. Why not? Why not? They'll be. These dark horses and then these dark horses, everyone's talking about Italy. You had more people talking about Ukraine and Turkey than you did the Netherlands. And if Netherlands get to the semi-finals, why not? It could be a semi-final against England, so we can have some more Euro 96 nostalgia shoved down our throats, can't we? Anyway, let's go to the first game of proceedings yesterday, and it was Ukraine versus North Macedonia. One of the games I was looking forward to, actually. And a lot of people uh, either didn't watch or just slammed it for being boring or just wrote it off instantly and I thought it was actually quite a good game in the end uh, both sides looking to bounce back from defeats on the opening day both conceded three so it could be goals in it and it was to be fair there was only three but there's still goals in it a Ukraine loss would have seen them complete the worst ever consecutive uh, loss streak in the championships with seven but obviously that ended yesterday in terms of team news Stefan Sporovsky came in for Traskovsky um, Elmas moved up front and his bad he didn't move to a 10 so it was more like a flat 3 it was more of a 3-5-2 than a 3-4-1-2 that we'd seen from Macedonia in qualification and in the previous game meanwhile Ukraine made kind of wholesale changes Shaparenko was in Stepanenko was in Malinovsky was further forward he's more on the left this time and Malinovsky was working his magic early he, he teased Dumitrescu out with a cross forced a save as well and Ukraine were pushing very high this is the Ukraine that we want to see really and um, they weren't fully able to do that against the Netherlands and I thought they were quite disappointed in the final third but here they were they were fantastic really Mikolenko was pushing from left back which is a rare sight was a rare sight in Amsterdam on Sunday but Nikolov and Alejovsky were doing likewise for North Macedonia they weren't scared from their wing back positions for North Macedonia it made for a very open game Yaramchuk got in behind early on and he, it was sort of like Deja vu this one because his first chance he should he should have shot but he passed it and obviously I was willing him on to shoot because I've got him in the golden boot and uh, he allowed the defence back in but the second time he um, capitalised on that high line the North high North Macedonian line Yamalenko threaded him through simple pass Yaramchuk solid near post finish and all aboard the Raman Yaramchuk golden boot train he is going to win it and this is going to be a regular feature I hope because Yaramchuk's going to score against Austria. He's going to score in the last 16. Ukraine are going fairly deep in the tournament. You don't have to go far in the tournament to win a golden boot, do you? I mean, look at... Look at your man from Yugoslavia, from uh, Savo Milosevic. He scored five goals, got knocked out in the quarterfinals. Why can't Roman Yaramchuk win a golden boot for Ukraine? Um, another contender for the golden boot, if he hadn't been offside, would have been Goran Pandev as well, which would have been lovely to see. A nice finish, but obviously he's quite a few yards offside, wasn't it? But Yamchuk's goal was a second goal in this game. Yamalenko, of course, did the business back post. The Macedonian defending was absolutely god-awful. 
All the defence seemed to step out when they should have just, if they stayed still, and have blocked it and cleared it, and it would have been nil-nil. Um, but obviously that was not the case. Yamalink had a simple finish, put it through the goalie's legs. And um, from then on, you kind of thought, maybe is this game over? But then North Macedonia adapted in, at half-time. They had uh, Chelinov come on, yeah, you've got uh, Traskovsky come on. It was more of like a 4-4-2 in the second half, and they were instantly more positive. You've got Adami producing a save from uh, the Ukrainian goalie, and they just needed that little bit more incisiveness and maybe a little more conviction in their passing and you know decision-making in the attacking third. I was frustrated with their decision-making. They could have easily had that final pass, a bit like the Netherlands later on in the day, really, where if they'd have just played that pass or made that move, they would have had innumerable more chances and his body was showing his quality with curling shots he had one pushed onto the bar which the, the move that initiated the penalty had another one which was uh, slightly over the bar and uh, from the penalty spot Alioski missed but he took term the rebound and then with 30 odd minutes to go it, it was game on it was game on and then we had a, a gripping game and it was the reprieve that didn't seem likely um Yamalenko he may have well be, he was probably man of the match, probably given man of the match, but I thought Ruslan Malinovsky tormented Macedonia all day long and yeah, he missed the penalty in the end, but I still think that they had a great, um, he had a great day. And I thought for me, the game for Macedonia was, it was pretty much the same as the first match day, wasn't it? It's the sprinkling of quality from the opposition, you know, Malinovsky, Yamalenko, all these players, the same with the first game when you had uh, Alaba, you had... Arnautovic, Sabitzer's pass for those three goals. It was just that quality that was a bit too much for them. And they were unfortunate to lose both games, really. They've remained competitive, which is what they'd have set out to do um, when they started off in this tournament, which leaves them, of course, with the Netherlands loss. The first team eliminated from the championships, unfortunately. Um, Ukraine and Austria will battle it out for second and third place next week. But obviously, as I said before, a draw there. We'll see both teams likely through, obviously, if you're Austria, you don't want to be, you don't want to be staying in third place. Obviously, they've got the the uh, goal difference disadvantage there. They they'll probably be wanting to go out for go out for a win there, and uh, get second place and hopefully a a, a kinder a kinder last sixteen draw. Which there's no kind last sixteen draw for Austria because they are one of the weaker teams if they do go through to the last sixteen. The winner of this contest likely gets Italy. Um, whilst third place faces the winner of Group ERF, which is Spain or potentially France. So it, it looks like the end of the road for whoever finishes second or third. And I just hope that Yaram Chuck racks up some goals in that game. So the Golden Boot train speeds off down the track, pulls into the station and um, is successful. <laughs> and um, the Netherlands, if they win it, that means they'll play third place from Group D, E or F, as we said earlier. So it could be... Slovakia, it could be Czech Republic, could be Scotland, could even be Croatia, um, could be Poland or Sweden, could be a whole host of teams. They'll just be wanting one of those teams rather than, of course, France, Germany or Portugal. We will uh, preview the big game, of course. It's Friday night, Friday night, 8pm, Wembley Stadium, England, Scotland. And if you've been stationed in the UK during these tournaments and if you've watched a tiny bit of television you've probably seen that Paul Gascoigne goal a thousand times already so we won't hark back to Euro 96 instead the team news Harry Maguire looks like he'll be back um, I'd be tempted to save him for the Czech Republic game because a win here for England would be qualified 
pretty much qualified and get some minutes against the Czechs there. But in terms of uh, going forward, I'd be tempted to bring in Jack Grealish for Phil Foden fitness, depending, of course, with that shin injury that he has. Um, despite, f- even if Foden, Foden looks a tiny bit leggy in the last knockings of the first game, even if Foden is fit and ready to go and optimum peak, I'd probably have Grealish in there. Grealish is a You've got that creative uh, player in Grealish. You've got Sterling on the other side. You'd probably stick with Sterling after the first game. So you've got a creative player dropping deep with Mason Mount and Harry Kane dropping deep. Raheem Sterling bombing on. And Grealish in a big, fiery derby like this, it just excites me no end. And I think him in a big derby, England versus Scotland, Grealish will come alive. Scotland will need to be more incisive going forward. I thought Lyndon Dykes was incredibly wasteful against the Czech Republic but all the rules, all the form goes out of the window for this one. I'd like to see Scotland play with um, a Nathan Patterson or a James Forrest on the right wing-back role. I'd like to see them play Che Adams up front with Lyndon Dyke. So it's more of a more of an attacking team. They will come out and need, a, need to get a result, really, because if they don't win, if they don't draw, they'll need something against Croatia, which isn't going to be I know it's at home and I know Croatia didn't look great in the first match but I don't think we can gauge Croatia just yet especially when they've got Czech Republic to come in at Hamden Park this afternoon Scotland will be praying that Kieran Tierney's back he had a training session under his belt didn't he um, he's, what I've heard he's 50-50 to play and um, for me Scotland in midfield I think that's going to be the big big issue the missing a defensive midfielder so many I think slightly out of place in that defensive midfield role is more of a box-to-box player isn't he and um but now he's playing as the deepest of a three with John McGinn and Stuart Armstrong maybe this is the time to get Billy Gilmore in he knows all the players that he's going to play against it's hard to sacrifice one of McGinn and Armstrong isn't it really McGinn obviously form for his country is just He's undroppable almost. Armstrong, which means he'll probably have to be sacrificed. Alternatively, you could um, take Ryan Christie out of that for Billy Gilmore and play John McGinn in a number 10 behind Lyndon Dykes. But again, Che Adams, it's hard. It's very hard decisions for Steve Clark. Good problem to have, though, because they have got probably one of the stronger Scotland teams that they've had in some time. But I feel as though this midfield three, in whatever combination, you've got Mount, Rice, Phillips, probably... Um, they could get about them, uh, particularly Mount dropping in alongside um, Scott McTominay there. I think the, he, if him and, well, if it's Foden, if it's Grealish, if it's any other combination of winger that England could put out, I think they could torment Scotland a little bit there. Kane will probably drop deep, look to drag one of the defenders out, obviously uh, cause a bit of a nuisance with McTominay in that defensive midfield. And I feel as a, the Man United midfielder could get targeted a little bit. He'll be playing slightly... Slightly out of position, he's still a solid midfielder, don't get me wrong. And I'm a Man United fan, I think he's a great midfielder. I don't just don't think, I think he's slightly out of position here. It'll be a cracker either way and I'm not going to dwell on the preview too much because I'm sure you've heard plenty of stuff already about this game, but I'm bubbling away already. I'm getting getting the fear already. And uh, in terms of second game record, England have won five of eight games, winning the last Five on record, the 2-0, of course, against Scotland in 96, which we'll not discuss. The 1-0 against Germany in 2000, 3-0 against Switzerland in 04, Sweden in 2012, of course, as well. And the other all-home nations tie against Wales in 2016, that ended swimmingly, didn't it? it? Scotland, meanwhile, haven't scored a goal or got a point from their last two second 
match matches at the European Championship, the first coming against Germany in 1992 and the second, of course, in that match. So we will not discuss. The other game in Group D is Croatia and Czech Republic. And this game has a completely different dimension for me now at Hamden. Czech Republic will be comfortable in their new home. They're, of course, playing at Hamden again. I thought they were fairly impressive on Monday. Kind of maybe fortunate they weren't playing a more incisive team. Obviously, that's Schick, Wonder Goal or Freak Goal, whichever, whichever side of the coin you land on. Um, but they face a completely different beast here. But, but nonetheless, a beast that has been wounded. Jakub Jankto, Patrick Schick will be dangerous, on this, particularly on that left side. If Seam Vashalko plays, um, I think that could be quite fruitful avenue for Czech Republic to explore there. The midfield battle is exciting. I do think that Croatia, I do think that Zlatko Dalic will shift to a 4-2-3-1 to match. Not only to match Czech Republic because they play with a double pivot as well, but to get Nikola Vladic on the pitch. It will probably mean that Mateo Kovacic will drop out because I do think Marcelo Brozovic is far better equipped in that double pivot alongside Modric. Modric will dictate, Brozovic will sit deeper. And of course, Vlasic will be the creative spark, the number 10 that can get out the Czech Republic defence. In terms of second game records, Croatia are undefeated. Played five games, they've won two, they've drawn three. Some of the teams they've played though as well have been some... All of them have been former European Championship winners and again here today. And uh, they play Czech Republic, of course, Czechoslovakia 1976, Penenka, etc. Back in 1996, they beat the champions, the holders, Denmark. They uh, they did um, likewise in 2004, drew against France, the holders, the champions. Germany in 2008 beat them as well, drew to Italy in 2012, drew to Czech Republic in uh, 2016. Meanwhile, Czech Republic, of course, have a... Uh, Four wins in seven games record, only losing to France in 2000 and Portugal in 2008. This game will go under the radar. Obviously, everyone's talking about England and Scotland, but I think this game will be probably the most important game in Group D in terms of standings. Czech Republic will be obviously confident. I'm quite confident in their left-hand side against Vyshalko, who's not had a great season, didn't look great against England either. Um, It could... It could be a draw, and a draw would be very good for Czech Republic. It'd almost mean qualification, wouldn't it? A bit like England later on as well. But the first game is from Group E, and uh, Sweden versus Slovakia. Slovakia, who topped Group E after the uh, after the first round of games, and a win here would qualify them. Slovakia, I thought, were highly impressive against Poland. They face a very different challenge, don't they? I do hope they continue with Andre Duda. In more of that false nine, Roberto Firmino-esque role, could draw Marcus Daniels, said he could draw Victor Lindolf out, who were very impressive in Seville. But I expect Sweden to come out a little bit more. Of course, they're a completely different game plan to Sweden, who were more possession-based. They could look to spring spring the counter-attack as well, to be fair, although that's what Slovakia did to devastate an effect against Poland. So it is quite an enticing... A t- enticing sort of tactical plan that both teams will go into the game with. Slovakia remain based in St. Petersburg, which could be a positive, could be an advantage for them, while Sweden, of course, have to travel. But Sweden have the bigger names, don't they? They've got Alexander Izak, who was absolutely superb in Seville. They've got to be more attacking. I think they will be more attacking. I'd like to see Robin on partnering, but I don't think he will. I think he'll stick with Marcus Berg. If Sweden do come out to attack, I feel as though Slovakia were very, very good on the counter. They looked very assured. You know, Robert Robert Mack on the left. Haralasin was good on the right. 
Andre Dude was incredible through the middle, wasn't he? Drifting into the channels, dropping deep, and he was one of the one of the more surprising performances of the tournament so far. And in terms of second game record at the European Championship, Slovakia have a hundred percent record, but they've only played one game, admittedly. Meanwhile, Sweden have only won one of six. That one being against Denmark in nineteen ninety two, their very first European Championship game. Oh, second European Championship game, very first European Championship tournament. So tomorrow we'll be covering that, we'll be covering Croatia, Czech Republic, and of course, England versus Scotland. Sore heads it may be tomorrow, but we will push on. (laughs) And uh, we'll be on Acast, Apple, Amazon, and Spotify as always. Please feel free to give us a five-star review if you have enjoyed today's show. Also Patreon, we are on patreon.com forward slash whatifootball for the entirety of the championships and after the championships will produce in seven days a week content just for the price of a lovely pint of Guinness up here in Yorkshire. That's three pounds. And um, if you could donate, if you would like to donate anyway, that would be greatly appreciative. I would love you to the ends of the earth anyway. Until tomorrow, silly. Up the three lines or up the Tatan army. I'm going to go for three lines here. It's coming home, isn't it? Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.